0: Gory days! I'm here to save
1: the 80s horror show. Take a stroll down every slay. It's time to start the show. The 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 gory days, the gory days, the gory days, the gory days. The gory days. Welcome to the Gory Days, the show where we take a stroll down memory slain to remember our favorite horror movies from the 1980s and early 1990s. It is a fantastic day today. Last episode, we talked about Hereditary and what a crazy movie that was. And even though when I started this podcast, it began as an uh, exploration into 80s and 90s horror. It has since expanded and the horizons have broadened to include all types of horror movies and even some sci-fis from all decades. But my guest today brought a very awesome (laughs) podcast, awesome podcast, an awesome movie to the podcast on the gory days. We are talking about It Follows, the two thousand. 2015 surprise horror hit that uh, if it didn't itself usher in this new horror renaissance it's definitely marching along with all the others my guest today is a comedian writer and maker of things he's the associate producer on the web series TV Guide Letter Theater he produces two degrees of alley the podcast featuring break-in stories from successful people in Hollywood just like this podcast he also produces with his wife my mom's movie reviews starring his mother-in-law I'd love to hear some some more about that, please. Oh, and he's the co host of the Pete D'Alessandro Show. Spoiler alert, please welcome to the gory days. The great Pete D'Alessandro, welcome. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks for having me here. So, you have your own podcast called The Pete D'Alessandro Show, but you're not the only Pete D'Alessandro. That's on that true.
0: It's true, it's uh, true. I started getting enough email for the other Pete Alessandro's, two of them at least, uh, that it started to get a little annoying. And I reached out to the one guy who is the he's been the campaign uh, campaign manager for Bernie Sanders' campaign in Iowa, he does a, a lot of political stuff. Um, so I reached out to him when I started getting tweets directed at him. Uh, and that's, people started accusing me of like, you're saying things about atheism and religion. You can't do that if you're running for office. And I'm like, one, he's not running for office 2 I'm not that guy. <laughs> uh, and I eventually just, you know, like I reached out to the guy and said, why don't we just make something out of this? I keep getting your emails. There's another Pete D'Alessandro, uh, who manages, oh man, what is he? Uh, assistant GM on the heat. Um, Oh, this isn't the Australian pediatrician? Not the Australian guy. Not the Australian trauma surgeon, (laughs) but a different Pete D'Alessandro. Again, uh, I used to get his emails uh, often because someone would email me Are you all just PeteD'Alessandro at (laughs) gmail.com? We all share it. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it just kept happening. It was like I would get people's resumes. uh, So we just started doing this podcast to just talk about whatever the hell we felt like talking about. Um, So it's been a couple of us so far. I don't have that many episodes because there's not that many Pete D'Alessandros. Their schedules tend to... Tend to be difficult, but uh yeah, we've done a couple of them. It's been fun. So the format of the show is finding a
1: Pete D'Alessandro and That's the
0: best part, but we don't always get to do that.
1: Okay. Yeah. Sure. So uh you were receiving these emails how long until you finally went, I'm gonna reach out to these people. It was years. (laughs) (laughs) Years of receiving emails.
0: it was just once in a while. Um, oh, okay. Once in a while it's worse than it is, especially with uh, the Bernie Sanders campaign. It was like, alright, sure, this sure. is out of control.
1: Your venture into the entertainment industry, was this something you always wanted to do? You always wanted to be a writer or you always wanted to be a comedian? I always wanted to be a writer. I didn't
0: start doing stand-up till about 2005. I was about 25. Okay. Uh, and I decided I wasn't really in a great place in my life and I thought like I better do some shit that's going to make me feel good and impress me. Not being in a good place has produced some of the greatest stand-ups I've seen. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's also a terrible way to get therapy. Um, mm. Stand-up is not good for that but it really did kind of uh, light a fire in my ass and i was like I, I like this i want to do this and i want to become good at this what were you doing before that uh nothing and lots of it yeah, I, I before i really got into stand up i was doing reality tv okay just as a day job i continued to do a lot of production work for a long time this was a pa or did you yeah, have a like, pa okay. and, and lots of other things that's um, how you do it that's how you do it and i did uh, a lot of onset stuff um lighting and uh grip and sound and the most money i ever made in a weekend was holding a boom Oh, there you go. Nothing uh, in front of the camera? Uh very rarely. Very rarely. Usually my acting gigs come in where like, oh my God, Pete, we're short one person tomorrow. Yeah. Um, that's how it happens too. And again, I I, I just I, I don't care to really be an actor, so I, I, I like doing it, but I wouldn't want to go through audition after audition after audition. Again wouldn't be fun for me. That's not really my path.
1: No, I've I've thought about it. Definitely, like everyone who moves here, you think about taking acting classes. and yeah. you think about going for it. But yeah, just in like I love movies and I yeah. love everything that I, everything that I've watched for this podcast except for maybe Ghoulies, Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we did Ghoulies, and uh, Chopping Mall, Chopping Mall, was Chopping mall. mall. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, filmed over at the uh, Sherman or the Glendale Galleria. No shit. Yeah, before they remodeled it. Wow. Um, yeah, and uh, just the like the best actors, the ones that win Academy Awards and stuff, have something wrong with them, and you can see it. <laughs> like the ability to turn on anguish and then turn it off and go, "What's for what's yeah. for lunch,
0: everyone?" I, I think there's yeah there's there's something great about that. And I, I guess I would love to do the work. For, oh, to I respect that. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah. But for me, no, it's not not worth the. I, I could never do that because yeah.
1: it seems like it uh, it encourages not going to therapy. It encourages <laughs> not addressing some of those things because if you if you cope correctly, then you might not be able to reach that later. <laughs> I,
0: I think that's true of anyone at a really successful level. Like if you make one billion and two dollars. There's something incredibly wrong with you that one billion wasn't enough. Why did you
1: need two more?
0: Yeah. Uh, And once you get that point, like, well, then, yeah, you're broken. At some level, you're broken.
1: Oh, wait. So I want to kind of trace your uh, timeline here. So before you uh, did that, you were doing reality TV and in production and stuff. Are you from L.A.?
0: No, I'm not. I'm originally from outside Philly, uh, way outside Oh, okay. East Coast. Yeah. Yeah. So um, pretty much... Not quite Amish country, but getting there. Uh, <laughs> so the first house I lived in was surrounded by a farm on every side. Okay. Did you get um, some rum spring out people coming out every now and then? Yeah, yeah we got some weird stuff. <laughs> um, I definitely saw a horse and buggies driving by the house well before I ever saw a limousine. Uh, in Interesting. Life. So it was, it was out there a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, we like chickens in the backyard, but we didn't raise animals. and It was just... Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was it wasn't
1: a farm, just surrounded we by farms. On a farm, just okay. surrounded by farms.
0: It smelled like literal shit, sure, because there was literal
1: shit uh, across the street. And then so. when uh, when when did you finally decide to move all the way out to L.A.?
0: Um, after right after college, I went to Penn State, okay. uh, got a film degree, and decided mm-hmm. that there was really only two places to go: New York or L.A. Mm-hmm. I tried around Philly for about you know, two three months, and I didn't find any jobs to apply to, let alone get. Yeah, let alone know. pay the bills. Sure, uh, there wasn't much there, so I came out here, and the first thing I found was reality TV. Uh, actually, my first job was, was pretty horrific. I worked on a reality TV show that um, I threw something on Craigslist, uh, you know, applied on Craigslist to something, and someone called me up at like, I want to say it was 11 at night, uh, March 31st, and they said, can you come to work by 8 tomorrow? I'm Deesh. like, well, I guess... I'm, on April Fool's? Like, yeah. I'm like, wait, it's April Fool's Day, like... Hang on, I got yeah. I, I really got to ask, like, is this really real? Because th- tomorrow is April Fool's. Uh, the job was in Palm Springs. I was in Hollywood. Oh, my God. So I was like, can you get a two and a half hour distance from where you are right now, check into a motel on your own dime, and then go to a job six hours later? That might not even exist. But it might not even exist. It did exist. Okay, good. <laughs> um, I made about 100 a day. It was, you know, it was Palm Springs. At that point, yeah. I That's mean, a paid gig. It, it was a paid gig. So it was like, well, this is the first paid gig I've got, so... That's making it. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, so like, I think that month, between the motels and driving back and forth to Palm Springs when I couldn't afford the motels... Uh, I think I netted about 800 bucks.
1: Okay. Um, I mean, month. it's all relative. That's yeah. the thing. Is like <laughs> so, making it is yes. not the 0.1% that becomes superstars no, or whatever. No. It's making Can it you make by getting bank? paid for yes. what you want to do. Exactly. I basically paid the
0: minimum on each of my two credit cards. I paid my rent, and I might have made my car payment for that 800 That's bucks. amazing. And that was it. It was like <laughs> everything else was dead. Yeah. Um, and it, was, it was fine. It was great. Did you have a place out here, or were you couch surfing? I didn't Um. I did do the couch surfing thing right away. I, God, I yeah. did actually got a place... You know, month-to-month place. It was like a, a one-bedroom of a four-bedroom bungalow. In the city? Uh, yeah, it was right in Hollywood. It's, okay. It, the building is still there to this day. This is 15 years ago. Okay. Uh, I'm sure it was, it's doing great. Uh, um, it was a trash dump then, and it's been 15 years. So it probably has. doesn't look like it's gotten any better when I've yeah. driven past it. Um, but I got the place because the dude who had... This is pretty sad. The dude who had had it the day before had been evicted and was now living in front of it on the sidewalk. Oh, wow. So it was pretty bad. I mean, like, that's the kind of place it was. It was like, well, if you scraped together money and you didn't have a place to live last week well you could you know if you got a couple hundred bucks you could do it he was literally he was literally right there on the sidewalk and yeah he's is, a, an example of what could exactly. be exactly yeah. this is like there by the grace of god uh, you know so that job
1: felt real desperate that 800 bucks was like all right i made it in another month and so when you moved out here uh you didn't have that job you moved out here with just oh, god, uh, hoping a dream, dream. Yeah, did you have a car a I had a car. Okay. And I just bought the car. A dream in a car. Yeah, exactly. How did your family react to that? I mean, you had the degree, but you yeah. moved all the way across the country. They
0: had no objection really. They were supportive? Yeah, they're totally supportive. I didn't really have any money saved up, but like you know, I think my my dad's big gift was like he would pay my car insurance that first year. That's a huge it was gift. A huge gift. Yeah. It was like, "My god. Well, all right, yeah, then I got to I got to start here. Yeah, so super supportive.
1: Are they in yeah. the industry at all or no, they... no. Okay.
0: Uh, both in, well, both more or less medicine. Sure. Both PhDs. Cool. So living in
1: between four farms. Why would you do that? I don't know. And so you came out here and you started making it on a reality show. Uh, yeah. And then at what point did this book come along? The Un-American Diet. So that was really the, the Un-American Diet came out when I decided to, you
0: know, like I said, I wanted to impress myself. I, I, I lost that. The big job I had on reality TV lasted about two years. Okay. So right after that, I decided I would do stand-up uh, and I decided I was going to lose weight. Okay. And I was really upset about my lack of female attention, and I decided, like at 25, it's not going to get any easier than it is right now. So why don't I try to at least get in shape and see if that can give me some kind of confidence? And and truly, it did. I lost about 40 pounds over the next two months. That must
1: have been huge. It
0: was. It was amazing. Yeah.
1: I mean, just like personally. But personally, yeah,
0: it changed my life. Yeah, and I'm sure you got that attention. You I, have- I certainly did. Um, yeah. I mean, at one point, I had. Giant arms and a six pack. Uh, so that's amazing. Uh, it was it was pretty great. That Maybe I'll
1: great. get there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so uh, you you lost that weight, but how did that communicate into a book? Um, so I, I took a lot of notes just for myself,
0: mm-hmm. um, and after the like, months, it's a journal. Was, yeah, right? yeah, basically just a journal. Just here's what I'm thinking right now. Here's what I'll be doing. I just had this epiphany. I'll write it down. Um, and at, about the time I would lost the forty pounds, I had fifty pages of notes. Wow. And I okay. thought, You know what? Maybe other people could benefit from this. Um, So I'll do this. I'm a writer. I I can do this. Uh, And it felt like um, I I could. What I didn't realize was that writing a book is about 10% of the work of having a book. That's what I was going to ask. Like, who published it? Who edited it? Um, I I got my... uh, Well, I met a girl, started dating her, and then uh, she edited the book. And later on, I married her.
1: Nice. There you go. Still
0: there. Um, (laughs) Yeah.
1: You tricked her. <laughs> I tricked her. She's
0: still in. So, um, yes. congratulations! Thank you, thank you. So that was my editor, but uh, I self-published. I, oh, great. I did great. Submit to a lot of places, a lot of publishers, but really, you know, it's a. I, I probably could have tried harder. I probably could have learned more about that process to do a little better with it, but. At the end, I felt pretty satisfied with the self-publishing. And you did it. You're a published yeah. author. Yeah, right, That's pretty right, great. Right. With a, is it a self-help, or is it just a kind I, of... I would say it's probably self-help more than anything. And I think, um, yeah, it's, it's more about those epiphanies. Like, all right, here's what I thought that changed me. Uh, and... What were those things that really were the key From like, how do I step back and realize what my problem is instead of just being like, well, I'll just exercise more. Um, how long was that process, not the weight loss,
1: but the book? Um, uh, the book was probably, oh, man, I think right around two years. Okay. Yeah. Wow, two-year turnaround. I guess when you have all of that content, it's just a matter of editing it down. Yeah. You don't have to generate it from scratch. Right,
0: because I was just generating without thought, without holding back. So do you brilliant.
1: generate from scratch? Do you Are you working on a, a book or anything like that? Um, yeah, I guess I am. I am
0: cool. I'm working on a novel. Nothing we want to I'm talk about too that. much about. Yeah, I'm admitting that over the air. All right, Fantastic! Good. Yeah. Oh, great! You're working on a novel. I'm working on a novel. So that's my next writing project. Um, I've got a couple pilots done, but I tend to be much more the uh, planner of a writer. Okay. Um, so I am not the guy who does journals anymore uh, for for where I come up with anything. Sure, um, it was a good place to learn. It, it was sounds a good like place that. to learn. Yeah, I went through some phases as a writer uh, trying to teach myself. Uh, at one point, like I decided I was going to write one new pilot every month. Okay. I um, did that for about six months. So, generated a bunch of stuff. Some of them were not good and not salvageable, but some of them were. How and... do you know
1: if they're not good? Or how do you know what's good right. if you write what's not good?
0: Right. Yeah. right, right. I mean, you can't not know what's good until you've actually finished it. You you, you can't do anything unless you have something done. Yeah, good. who was
1: it that said they wrote 100 screenplays before they decided one right. was good? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, so there's some of that. And so, so these
0: were for TV? Any features? Uh, not in that not in that period, but yeah, I've written a couple features. Okay. Yeah, I have one feature that I've been shopping around and I've got oh. a couple eyeballs on, but we'll see. Um, but that's a four-person cast independent film, real, real real small, low budget. Nice. Is that uh,
1: sci-fi or... or gram- okay. Oh, but, oh, Well, there's great.
0: some hard science to it. I don't know if you could call it science fiction, but... Uh, What's the space plus one? Uh, so that was uh, four four people trapped in a car, uh, self driving car. Uh, two of them are the people who have built the car. They're now on their way to sell it, uh, but the two people in the back seat are their spouses, and they just realize as the car malfunctions, the two people in the back seat having having an affair. Uh, and at that point, they're stuck trying to fix the car, trying to deliver the car, and also survive their relationships.
1: That's fantastic. So it's really a character piece. Really at its core. Character. and like it is. Like the, the
0: science yes. is a setting. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Science is a setting. I'm, as good science fiction would be. Again, I'm like, can you count self driving car if it's a slightly different self driving car? as science fiction
1: I, that's what's interesting is that like if you had pitched this before yeah. Tesla and all of that then yeah. absolutely it's it's right. complete fiction but yeah. the Five closer oh yeah, yeah it makes me think of the new Child's Play remake or reboot or remix that they're trying to put out where Chucky isn't a possessed serial killer doll anymore now he's a rogue AI because yeah. it's just kind of society upgrading their horrors we always have to make people afraid of what's the new thing yeah so, that's true because yeah. that, that is what we're afraid of and mm-hmm. we're easily scared of what's like oh it's right there I remember when GPS first came out there was that CSI episode of the rich couple going out to an opera and the GPS takes them down a dark alley and they get killed because the hackers hacked their GPS and my mom you know of course ran with that uh, yeah. that's, that's what, that's what uh, you can tell when technology is getting uh, really interesting because people start getting un- irrationally afraid of it yeah yes they do um so yeah you mentioned off uh mike that your uh wheelhouse is more sci-fi and in fact you have yeah. a short out there camp uh how did that come about camp camp definitely isn't sci-fi um
0: no it's not but, but, I, it's then, the... but yeah that is my wheelhouse and i keep working outside my wheelhouse which probably isn't great um <laughs>
1: well you're spreading your i mean it's not spreading too thin it's I'm learning
0: uh, i'm learning different capacities yeah. and uh it's certainly cheaper than shooting sci-fi that's for sure uh camp was really being uh, a peat of all trades being a peat of all trades so, what happened with camp was I was working um, as an engineer um, all over the place. I okay. was actually working out of a suitcase, essentially. A traveling engineer. A traveling engineer. I was working for a contract on the US Postal Service for some machinery. Okay. Uh, and
1: some top secret stuff, I'm sure. Exactly, top secret. <laughs> um,
0: so, sorting mail, uh, basically, working on a giant machine that sorted mail. Um, As a part of that, I would travel constantly. Like, I would get off a plane and check my voicemail. And they're like, you know what? Now that you've landed in Kansas City, we don't really need you there anymore. Can you get back on a plane for Detroit? Oh, my God. Uh, So that would happen. Some frequent flyer miles. Yeah, (laughs) some real frequent flyer miles. They paid me a lot of money because of the horrible travel, horrible schedule. And it was 80-hour weeks. You could have no uh, social life. Absolutely no social life. Um, I really tried to do stand-up. I was doing it. But you just, you can't book anything. Like, I'm going to be in town for two days, I hope. (laughs) Can I get a spot in spot? two yeah. days? Yeah. So we really didn't have a lot of time to even do that stuff. Um, so did as much as I could. But eventually, I'm staying at my friend's place, and um, I haven't written in forever because I'm working eighty-hour weeks. So his cat, after a couple months, I, it was awful, awful cat, uh, <laughs> just so cruel. I, I did grow to love him honestly. Sure. But at one point, like we we bonded, we we figured it out, and he just turned out of nowhere and scratched the living shit out of me, and it made me realize, like, oh my god. This isn't my cat. This isn't my house. I don't actually have this guy as a roommate. Like, I'm not. I'm in Maryland. Why am I in Maryland? Why, what am I doing? This isn't my life. I got to go back to writing. I got to go back to doing something. Wow. Uh, so I decided the first thing I, I had was this idea called Camp. It was a movie about uh, three guys who are hiking in the woods. They're lost, and one of them dies. Yeah. Uh, the other two are wondering like, what happened? Because none of us saw it. So did you do anything or did I do you think I did something because so it's that whole that whole game of two guys trying to figure that
1: out um, yeah no it's great I watched it oh thanks yes thanks. It's, it really it's is
0: a little bit there's definitely an element of I, I think at the time I had probably too recently watched uh, The Edge uh, David Mamet I haven't um, seen that oh oh
1: okay yeah so I've, I've heard I, of it
0: not that dissimilar a plot but this is a 10 minute very very cheap version of it sure um so it was fun um, but the last words of uh of this uh, camp was Let's make camp, right? Um, so that was really, honestly, a sort of reference to myself. Of,
1: Let's make this fucking thing. And so, who made it? Because you wrote I this. Did it. I wrote it. You I wrote it and directed, it, it, directed it, and it
0: and produced it. Yeah, and cast it and directed and produced yeah. it. Yeah. Dude, the cast was amazing. Um, I can't yeah, they're believe. great. They are great. Um, I'm still, friends of yours or yeah, friends of mine. Um, so uh, Fernando Rivera was um, shout out. Yeah, a uh, great uh, comic, uh, friend of mine. And I really, I hadn't realized, but I really had had his voice in my head when I wrote his part. Okay. Um, I found two other guys, uh, Tim Clifton, who played our lead. Who uh, was brilliant? Uh, great guy, can. yeah. And uh, then we had uh, Scott Foster, who uh, unfortunately, rest in peace, uh, passed away a few years ago. But brilliant actor on his own. Uh, what a guy! Uh, and brought who so much he? to it. Uh, Scott was um, uh, Victor. Um, God damn it, who would call me on that? A uh, darker-skinned <laughs> guy, uh, taller guy. He was uh, ah, an Ah, gotcha. Uh, yeah. Okay. okay. So, yeah, he did a great job. He did a great Phenomenal. job. And he was just this huge personality to around. It was so much fun. Um, and I'd actually written one of the parts for the the car movie I mentioned, Stuck in Car. i written one of the parts
1: for him uh, before he passed away. That's great. So, yeah. So, uh, did that make any circuits on uh, festivals? Yeah, or... I made
0: a couple festivals. Uh, the action on film was probably the biggest of those. Um, okay. Actually, Scott eventually wound up... Working with the Idlewild Film Festival um, okay. just a little later, and we, had, uh, we went there for a big, a big show. I think we had two screens there, and he said, I didn't make the one of them. He said people were just, it was packed, and people were on their feet. And I was like, well, this, can't do better than that. Okay. I can't do better than that. I was so happy. So, real happy with that film. So, we met
1: through a mutual friend of the show, Kimberly Solomon. How do you know Kimberly?
0: So, Kimberly and I met at the Austin Film Festival. I think we were both semi-finalists last year. We're oh, wow. Different different projects. Okay. Um, I had a spec script, and she had a feature. In. Um, so, we both met at the Austin Film Festival, hit it off, um, and we had actually lived at one point like a block from each other in, in Manhattan.
1: Oh, like, re- wow, really? Block, oh, I, I was going to say it's small town, but, yeah. but small world.
0: Small, Yeah, 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 small place. Um, Yeah, yeah. so she was great. We hit it off, and uh, we've been trading scripts ever since. Notes, reads, whatever.
1: Yeah, she's great, and I've been trying to get her to come back so we can talk about Final Destination. We brought her on, and we talked about Arrival, which was a great movie, but uh, during the podcast in the episode, she's like, oh, and I also like the Final Destination movies. I was like, well, why didn't you bring that? This is a horror (laughs) podcast. So I guess that's my uh, way of segueing over into the genre. So I know that your wheelhouse is more uh, sci-fi, but I've found that it's hard to get into sci-fi without finding elements of horror. Yeah. Um, not necessarily the other way around, but it seems like sci-fi does have a reliance on the same kinds of tropes and tension and suspense. But how do you feel?
0: I'll say they are the same genre. I, okay. I don't like the word genre, but um, honestly, they're the same thing. So so what we're trying to do So sci-fi is, is redundant. Yeah, I think so. What we're trying to do most of the time, especially if you're looking at any kind of supernatural element uh, to horror, what you're really looking at is how do we deal with something that you know we can we can just sort of use an analog to step up a conversation about a real thing that is in our lives without the supernatural or science fiction element to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're the same thing. One of them tends to be uh, a certain you know it's either thriller or, or horror, it's to scare you or something tense. That emotion is the one thing that kind of runs through horror. Sci fi can be kind of all over the place um it can go anywhere you can go to comedy like galaxy quest or you can go to alien which is a horror movie except it's also sci-fi yeah but so, sci-fi
1: like you're more to your point is that it's a malleable genre it can yeah. be applied and put onto like a sci-fi romance a yeah. sci-fi horror like you say a sci-fi action
0: right right her is another great romance yes yeah
1: yeah, yeah. um and uh, that hits on another thing that i didn't think about is that both horror and sci-fi both uh attempt to understand the ununderstandable. like uh yeah. we use science Hopefully to eventually explain something that at one point was no different from magic, was no different right. from ghost stories, and we just discovered the scientific reasoning for it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think um, Mary Shelley is the one thing that just mm, I mean, opens it's my eyes. Yeah, just like, well, wait a minute. There's really nothing to call science fiction before this. I mean, there is, but man, what, like, what a clear-cut... Invention of a genre, if there is such a thing.
1: Yeah, I wonder. I wonder what would be the first introduction of a of science fiction in our history. Because, like, I bet there's an argument that the Bible has elements of science fiction in I it. I Wonder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, that's not what this podcast is about. We're not talking <laughs> about the Bible and its elements of science fiction. Um. So how? Uh. Why do you find yourself uh, so enamored with this particular? I won't use the word genre, but no, no, sci-fi. Yeah.
0: But yeah, so it was sci-fi. I think for me, it, it gives us such a wide range to talk about anything specific. So you have a world, and you can put that world together any way you like. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's just you know a black mirror does a great job of just taking us 15 minutes into the future that's the premise of that yeah Again, it's
1: very grounded
0: yeah um, and comes to close to a horror many times yeah um some of them are even romances, which is fascinating. Absolutely. I mean, there's been a couple of great romances. Yeah. I mean, everyone likes to talk about Sandra DiPero. Yes, episode. that's, that's what exactly a, what I was thinking. Yeah, what a wonderful episode. So we, we can take a world and then we can ask some questions and ask some questions about us. We can use that world to explore the answer to that question, or at least a potential answer to that question.
1: Yeah, that still plays on a the theme from our reality. Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think Galaxy Quest is really this question about redemption. You brought I mean, that up a second time. Yeah. That's my
1: dad's favorite movie is uh, Galaxy Quest. so good. It's, it's really a great good. comedy. Yeah. yeah. Both so, as yeah. like a, a lampoon of Star Trek and as its own Just standalone as its movie. Own
0: movie too. I mean, it really does work well. There's this one scene at the end of Galaxy Quest. There's one moment really where um, we finally see Alan Rickman's character. Like, you know, he's hated this stupid line over and over. There his are, arc, yeah. His, his whole arc kind of completes, and he, you know, his the, the guy who's been worshiping him, you know, is dying, and he finally says the goddamn line again. And he actually, this is the first time it's meant. To yeah, he name. believes and it. He really believes it. He loves it. Um, and it's this moment where, like, where you tear up. And laugh at the same time. That's, if, you, if you told me if that was possible, I would say no. Clearly you can't have two different emotions that are in that much conflict at the same time. There it is. There can't be ten of those I can think of in all of film. That's wow.
1: interesting. The only th- when you mention that, the only thing I think of is like BoJack Horseman, some yeah. show that mm. masterfully balances between like one moment you could be laughing your ass off, crying yeah. like, and then within like the same breath wow. they'll yeah. lay something so heavy on you that, that those tears are still useful right. Right. just in <laughs> a different context now.
0: <laughs> right, right. It's so great.
1: Um, so I'm sorry I interrupted you. That sci-fi kind of plays on um, it answers those questions you're yeah. saying.
0: Yeah, it does, and I think that um, horror can do the same thing. Not all horror, for me at least, does that. But I'll tell you what
1: does, It Follows. It Follows is a perfect example. Yes, it does. Well, there you go. (laughs) So yeah, It Follows is a fantastic movie, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about all things It Follows, more Pete D'Alessandro, more me, Kyle, your host, who I forgot to introduce on The Gory Days. days. The Gory Days. days. Welcome back to The Gory Days. My guest today is Pete D'Alessandro, and today we are talking about the 2015 horror film It Follows. So I like to give a little bit of a timeline uh, for people who may or may not be interested in the fact that director and writer David Robert Mitchell conceived of this film based on some dreams that he had in his youth of being followed by a mysterious person. And the first time I read that I thought of Wes Craven and how Freddy Krueger was invented from... I can't remember if it was a dream or a real story, but I just remember it was him seeing a striped man knocking on his door like rapidly and that scared the bejesus out of him. So uh, the role of sexual transmission actually came later from Mitchell's desire for something that could transfer between people. So it's interesting listening to his uh, interviews and articles uh, where he's kind of dissected his own film. Because he doesn't feel that the movie has that much to do with sexual transmission and STDs. But it's, a, it's once again a thing of like once you create an art, it's not yours anymore. It's for <laughs> interpretation of other people. Right. Like I'm sure people could watch camp and find things that you never yes. would have uh, inferred from it. So in 2011, David uh, Robert Mitchell finally starts writing the movie and they start filming in Detroit in 2013. I think just about a year of filming and editing because they're done by may 17th of 2014 where it debuts at the Cannes film festival and it takes the Cannes festival by storm picked up by radius twc for distribution and finally we get the limited release in the united states on march 13th 2015 i definitely didn't see this in theaters i wish i had but I, this was one that i just waited for uh i don't even remember that much like press or marketing for it. I that. don't
0: either. I honestly don't remember much except I, you know, a couple of people had told me about it. So I waited till it was on, on, on all the streaming platforms, and people enough people told me about it and told me to watch it that I decided, all right, fine. I'll give it a shot. Yeah, it was but word I, of I, mouth. I, yeah, fine. I'll be fine. I'll, with with raised
1: eyebrows. Let me see how if this is any good, and I'll watch five minutes. That's the exact mentality I had with like um, Paranormal Activity. Yeah, I remember hearing so many people say how great it was, right. and but but yeah, of course. Um, and then it wasn't until like the marketing had like this second wind where they're like showing footage yeah. of people in the theater like freaking out <laughs> and stuff, and so I finally went to like uh, my college was doing a showing at their theater, and it was so great because you've seen that movie, right? Oh yeah. Of course. The first half of it, everyone's joking. And laughing around but then when shit gets real oh, the whole theater was silent for the rest of it it is a, it holds your stomach tight yeah that's a great one and i love to talk about that one on this show but after being released in march of 20 uh 2015 the movie has had an amazing run and is actually inspiring a sequel i had no idea and they certainly didn't that this movie would do that well and so the sequel that they're planned apparently uh has them following a victim who attempts to trace it all the way back to its source Mm -hmm. to kind of answer the questions that frankly i wasn't interested in having the answers to but i'm sure someone out there is so as i mentioned written directed by david robert mitchell the music is by rich vreeland aka disaster piece uh that's a di that's a disaster p-e-a-c-e Uh, I went on Spotify and listened to some of his music. He's got like this kind of chip-toony style. It's nice. Um, Apparently, he also did the music for Fez, a video game that I've never played. Mm. I don't know either. Um, And uh, as I mentioned off mic, this is not an A24 film. I totally thought it was. And it has that same kind of feel of a high-budget, indie-feeling horror movie. But nope, it's in fact uh, Northern Lights Films produced it, and Animal Kingdom with uh, Two Flints uh, distributed it. So the movie stars Meika Monroe as Jay, Keir Gilchrist as her friend Paul, Daniel Zavato as uh, Greg, this, like, heartthrob that lives across the street, Jake Weary as Hugh, a.k.a. Jeff, Olivia Lucardi as Yara, and Lily Sepp, or Seppi, as her si- as Jay's sister, Kelly. Um, hmm, who's that? I have that written down. I don't remember. So, really quick, I'll just go through, I don't want to do beat by beat, I'll just go through the synopsis really quick, uh, to remind everyone of what the movie is, and then we'll talk about some of those themes. So, long story short, Jake has sex with a date of hers named Hugh, and it goes great, until Hugh chloroforms her, and she wakes up tied to a wheelchair where she's introduced to IT, this thing that Hugh explains to her that will follow her, hence IT follows. He explains that whoever has sex with a person who is being followed by it will transfer it to another person, and in this case, now Jay is being followed. Jay goes to the hospital, police investigate. They eventually find out that Hugh was a fake name, living in a fake house. So, after Jay sees an old lady... It, walking at her at school, she finally flees to an ice cream shop where Paul and her sister Kelly are working. So they have a sleepover, it breaks in. Honestly, the scariest shot in the whole movie happens there with the tall man, uh, it. They drive to Greg's fake house where they find his name is Jeff. They talk to him. He explains some more rules. But eventually they make it to a lake house that Greg, the heartthrob, drove them to. They escape from it again. They drive off. It gets, honestly, the last half of this movie is a lot of just like driving and waiting for the thing to show up. It's good, um, but it's playing into maybe how I'm going to rate this movie at the end of this episode. Uh, Eventually, they get Greg to have sex. Well, Jay gets Greg to have sex with her, and so she passes it on, thinking that she's safe until it gets greg and that's really the only shot we see of how it kills people and Mm -hmm. we'll get into that it's pretty graphic so now that greg's dead it's following jay again they have a wonderful plan to go to the community pool and put a bunch of electric uh appliances into the pool after they've lured it there it fails miraculously and jay sleeps with paul and that's the end of the movie you got Pretty it. much in a nutshell. It. Nailed it. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you haven't watched the movie, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast. Ideally, you've seen it before. But right off of the bat, uh, let's start right with uh, it. So it is real in yeah. this movie. It physically exists in the space. And that's one of the most fascinating things is those moments where they put like a blanket over its head and stuff. Right. So like... I don't know, it seems like a good place to start is like, of course you could just like constantly move around and yes. escape from it, right? Yes, yes But yeah. you never would truly escape from it.
0: It would work if you had a job as an online blogger.
1: Yeah, yeah, as a travel blogger.
0: You can't get a job at Subway uh, and have this thing follow. You can't go anywhere for eight straight hours
1: reliably. No, you'd have to be like a millionaire who has homes all over the world, (laughs) yeah, or something. Right, get one hotel room uh, in every country for a year. And even then, that implies that it can't, like, get on an airplane or something, even though it's intelligent. It seems like it could totally get on
0: an airplane if you were letting it close enough to get on the airplane. Yeah. In which case, maybe you could force it
1: to fly somewhere else. So again, I guess you could just fly somewhere else yeah I guess I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself so why did you bring this movie in I'm yeah, curious what's your relationship I think
0: I, I, I love this as a fascinating piece this movie is it answers one question uh, and that is how do you live with an, a, an STD that you can't get rid of And to me, I don't know what the writer and director said
1: I, there's no other way for me to interpret this movie. Yeah, that the it's really hard. The first thing anyone would come out of this is, oh, it's a supernatural STD. Yes. Like whether or not it's a direct allegory for people in the real world to think about, it is a supernatural STD. Yes, this is a sexually transmitted curse. Yeah, and it's so original. I've never seen a film do that before. Where like we've had ghost stories, we've had curse stories, but the idea of transferring it through sex is so unique and so original, so
0: fresh. Yeah, I mean, there's always that cliche in horror movies. Like, oh, you can't have sex, you'll die. Well, let's
1: just start with that. Yeah, exactly. This, if anything, immediately subverts that. Uh, The the trope that if you are a promiscuous, especially woman, uh, and you're having premarital sex, then you are doomed to be brutally slaughtered and punished for it. Right. Unless you're the naive uh, girl who ends up not a virgin at the end, then... Yeah. Or, or if that does end up a virgin, then she's totally safe. But sometimes the boyfriend dies instead of her. Yes, know, so yes yeah, yeah. That's why trade that trope. But horror movies have a history of vilifying female sexuality. So yeah. this movie takes that right at the beginning, and it's great. Um, so, yeah, you're touching on one of those uh, first major themes that it is a metaphor both for STDs, but also just for sexual awakening and awareness and puberty. Right. Um, so, like... Uh, to your point that I can't see any other way to interpret this, I was sitting there writing my notes and I was like, I don't know what other themes there are in this. So (laughs) the things that I'm bringing up here are kind of a stretch, but I feel like they're still interesting to think about. So when I say that it is a metaphor for sexual awakening uh there are a lot of scenes in this movie that juxtapose beginning versus after before sex versus after sex the first well not the first shot the first shot is that awesome 360 yeah. uh choreographed thing uh great intro to the movie but the first shot of jay is her in the pool relaxing right. and there are those two boys that are looking at her and she's like i see you right. and she's like mildly inconvenienced and annoyed but it's still kind of fun because she's She's a child. That's, yeah. that's 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 what kids do. There's nothing nefarious about that. Right. They just peek at each other. And it's after she gets it, and after she has sex with uh, Hugh, a.k.a. Jeff, that she's back in her pool. And she can't... They're not even there anymore, but she can't stand the idea that something is looking at her with lustful intentions. Right. And whether or not that's the this monster that's coming to kill her, which... It is what I'm arguing is kind of like the the allegory for this, mm-hmm. or if it's just just a a, a horny man across the street. Right. Is that like being awoken? Hugh, aka Jeff, awakens her to the idea that she's never safe and is always being looked at with a lustful eye. Right. And and I, I has. I always, come, I always come up to this when I want to discuss feminist uh, themes and ideas because as, as a gay man, I only have so much agency to talk about this and I don't want to, to generalize anyone's experience. And I feel that a woman, a person really, but women particularly learn that they are not safe eventually that that all of us go through childhood and we do things and parents say things like come back after dark but we don't understand that until we're we we learn it the hard way or we're taught it or we just grow up being a good goody um and so jay has these has has these eyes on her that it just doesn't matter until after she's awoken to this 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 idea of never being safe and and constant unease. Yeah, Kyle, you're so right. And here's (laughs) here's where that that really comes in. And I think
0: it's easy for me to overlook this because I mean, it's so awful, but there is this date rape element to that beginning. I mean, she's decided to have sex with someone and the weirdest date rape ever. He has sex with her and then assaults her. That's what's insane Um, is it it was consensual. Right. And and then at that point, um, and she even, I mean, she says that to the cops. Oh, it was consensual, but... Uh, but that wasn't, um, and at that point, it, it really is a date rape, uh, and it's it's horrible. It's horrifying. It is, and that's an awful way into this. And again, that's still.
1: I mean, you can think about STDs and and that scenario. That's awful. You can you can think about it of like unwanted pregnancy in yes. that way like that's yes. that's something that Alabama's dealing with like right. the 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 disdain that your friends and loved ones would have even like no matter how much support her friends are giving her right. they can't understand they are right. literally blind to the yes. problem she's oh, having
0: man.
1: oh wow <laughs> a great point yeah yeah, that they can show that. as much support as they want, but they they haven't been violated. They haven't experienced the, the, the sexual trauma that she has that now results in her looking at her body completely differently. Right. Before she's going to the movies, before she's going on her date, there's that long poll zoom in of, of her like looking at herself and doing her makeup and stuff. And afterward, after she's gone to the police and after they've investigated things, there's that scene of her just looking at herself again right. and, and just totally different. And totally just different. being disgusted at, like, what other people would find attractive. And it's just, yeah. And I, I have yet to experience anything like that. I hope I never do. And I feel horrible for people out there that have. And I think it's kind of it's kind of offensive for the director to say, no, that's not what it is. <laughs> like, it doesn't... I, I do wonder about that one. Um,
0: <laughs> but, yeah, I think, you know, there's no better way to talk about it. Like, I don't want to go through that, but how can I relate to it? Well, how about art? Yeah, about art as a way to open people's eyes to that.
1: I well, I would perfect. love to hear your perspective as a writer. Like, I am personally terrified of writing a female character, yeah. let alone a female's like general experience like this. Like, yeah. I don't know if Robert Dave, if David Robert Mitchell. Experience something like this. I don't know if he interviewed women that experienced this, but there's a part of me that is like, for representation's sake, like, like who? I don't know. Where does the responsibility lie as a writer?
0: I think that's a great question. For me, it relies on being a writer. Okay, so my I'm a straight white man. You know what perspective I'm going to bring to everything? Straight white man. So the least I can do is try to introduce characters that uh, challenge that perspective and bring that in. Because any writer's room that ever hires me, they're going to be hiring a straight white man. So I better be able to find uh, some other voices uh, that are a little more interesting. I don't think if you hire a black woman that you we would assume that she can't write a white man. Um, I think we have a responsibility as writers to be able to write other characters and write other people. You can't be afraid of that.
1: That's great. And uh, does the responsibility carry over into interviewing people for their experiences and trying to get like a real perspective, whether or not they're able of telling their story, you're able to take their experience and communicate it?
0: Yeah, I think you have to. Um, I think what what can you possibly do if you don't ask that person questions?
1: And now as the devil's advocate, when does that become appropriation? Where
0: is the line? Yeah, so it depends. How is your subject feeling about it? Yeah, Uh, that's the line. If they're comfortable, then I think you're okay.
1: If they're not, then you're not okay. And it seems like there's a push for, uh, especially now in this, in this time of inclusion and diversity, that it's like, if, you're an, if this is an Asian-American story, then it better have been written or directed or both by an Asian-American team. Because yeah. if not, then it feels disingenuous. And that's just, for instance, it just seems like if you're telling a blank story, you right. should be of the blank. Right. And I don't think that's really realistic. I mean, no. maybe that that is the flavor
0: of the day, but I don't think that's really reali- realistic.
1: Because unfortunately, not everyone can tell a good story, even if they lived right. it, you right. know? like right. Like, I it mean, takes something different to be able to communicate a yeah, good story. Yeah, you really
0: need to be able to find someone else who can be uh, not too close to the story to tell it correctly. Um, I just watched uh, Always Be My Maybe the other night. Just came out. My I was Netflix. halfway through that and I yeah. had to go to sleep. <laughs> uh, it, was a, it was a great movie. Um, it's about uh, it's uh, got Randall Park and Ali Wong. Randall Park and Ali Wong. Um, she does not play someone who is Korean. Um, he does. The writer is neither um, Chinese or Korean or anything. Um, she is, I think, of an Indian background. Yeah, right? but she plays Vietnamese yeah. character. Yeah. yeah. So you can't really have, you can't narrow that. Like, when is it too narrow? Well, are you, what part of China are you from? Because the story is about someone who's from northern China. So, well, yeah. At some point, we all have to just be like, well, we're people, and we have to be able to tell each other's stories.
1: Yeah, we need otherwise be it to... becomes Asian people movies yes. and black people yes. movies. So we,
0: we can't really have it. It doesn't really work.
1: Yeah, and yet, uh, what's his name? Perry has made an entire career off of it. Yes, for sure. What is his name? is uh, Isn't it Perry? Tyler Perry? Tyler Perry. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big, uh, big Mama's house. Not Big Mama's house. <laughs> God, I'm all <laughs> um, over the place. Martin Lawrence. And I'm going to erase it. all of this so I don't sound offensive. The next theme that I have written here, oh wait, um so another thing on the uh sexual rapes uh on the sexual assault and rape survivor allegory is um how uh the police and neighbors treat her. That yeah. when the police show up, uh Greg and her neighbors come out and uh, are looking across the street and they're like, "Um, she's such a mess." Yeah. Um and the police's the police questions are even like they have a condescending tone to yeah. them. Like I wrote them down, they're not condescending. It was was it consensual? Right. And have you ever been to his home and she feels she so she carries so much shame in her answers because it's like no i I realized no yeah. and it was consensual and right. I didn't even know who he was right he wasn't even who he said he was right I was like well I, yeah I went to his house but I never went inside and I never thought that was Weird? I never
0: questioned that. But now now that I'm back here, it does seem weird. And that all comes across in the acting.
1: But in the real world, that's not weird. That's not weird at all. Tinder and Bumble and these things, like,
0: live off that. I can't count the number of people I've slept with who I've never been to their house.
1: Or knew their real name for or sure. Knew their real name, right? I have No idea. Like, it's not like I'm asking for their like driver's license or something. No. but there's there's still an element of like, <laughs> I, I yeah, you, you should have a sixth sense of that. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're going to be. A, but but do you see what we're doing yeah, right now? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's like you can't know that. We're you victim blaming that. right now, right, though. Right. That's exactly. Oh my god, right. you just tricked me. <laughs>
0: we've but, all been there we've all done this stuff and, and you know what normally nothing bad happens to us because it's not an unreasonable leap for us to do those things and if
1: something bad happens it's not, it's your, not, fault. not your fault it's not it's your just, fault and that doesn't paint you as a deviant for the rest of your life right it is in no way it is someone else's fault someone else does the crime Not the victim. Because we should not be adding more to them. They have so much on their plate already. As a survivor of sexual assault or rape in this movie, it's communicated by an actual freaking monster that may be killing them at any moment. And having your friends and family lay extra blame on you for, well, he wasn't even who he said he was. You should have known better. Let's go more allegory here. And just not only do they not, they're not really related to that.
0: They don't believe her. Yeah. They don't believe. Oh, there's a monster following you. Hmm. i sure there is.
1: Even as they're helping her, yeah. they're at the pool and they've. They're still like, where is it? But yeah. You, all right. I, I can't see it. So. Is it following it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And
0: Greg. I mean, Greg dies because he doesn't take it seriously. He yeah. Doesn't believe. He what, has another, no, another STD reference there. Yeah. Like, he has
1: no intention of supporting her.
0: No. No. Not at all. Yeah. He's like, this makes you feel better. I got laid.
1: It's all good. Yeah. No, don't worry about it. And, We're all safe. Yeah. And he's killed by his mom, it in the form of his mom, which <laughs> yeah. is so crazy. So crazy. And that's where we see how it kills. Yeah. So the only, uh, we see Annie in the beginning and her leg is like broken frontwards all the way right. over her. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, it just like beats them to you. death. Yeah. Right. It just like throttles you. And sometimes it does. Sometimes it just pulls on your hair. Yeah. Sometimes it throws things at you from across the room. Right. Like, and sometimes it humps you to death so i couldn't figure out like yeah what what its modus operandi was but that one for sure is i I still can't make heads or tails of it and i feel like it's shot in that way to to to, to also make it but all i know is that it is sexually charged and horrific when when it is killing greg because we see greg and his neck is broken um yeah so like i said once you've been violated there is no easy fix it will be with you forever and now everyone you look at you have to look at with suspicion even even like it could be your mom right it could be your dad and i feel like that line is exactly is about like it could be someone you know right it could be a total stranger or it could be someone you know just like in real life what a great perspective on like just being assaulted never feeling safe again and uh, who's around you who's the next assaulter who's the next person that's going to harm you exactly don't know it could be someone that was once a benevolent person. Yeah, yeah, you don't know, and that's that's the real horror. The other side of that coin is something that I wrote down here that I'm very proud of: sex escapism. Mm. We can't escape. Uh, in a uh, 2015 article in the Guardian, the director David Robert Mitchell said. We can't escape our mortality, but love and sex are two ways in which we can at least temporarily push death away. Yeah. So that's the director kind of explaining in a paraphrased quote here that the monster is just a metaphor for encroaching death and that having sex and uh, losing your virginity awakens you to your mortality, that it's like, I'm on the next stage of my growth and mortality is ever coming closer and it's never going to stop unless I have sex, then right. that's one way to push away the encroaching mortality.
0: I would be more on board with that allegory if we were talking about you know, having kids is the thing that pushes away your mortality. Yeah. Like,
1: that's the only way I'm really going to live forever, by
0: having kids and, and a piece of me lives forever. And isn't that nice?
1: That would be an interesting thing in the sequel if they yes. touch on. It's yeah. like, oh, that's the only way to stop the the... That it follows is right. to have a child yeah, from it. So just be oh, but then that's a months. really pro pro life angle. Oh god, know. yeah, it is. Uh, so maybe
0: that doesn't work. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I don't I don't buy that, that. The theme doesn't resonate for me.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It like I said, this one these ones are kind of loose, and I'm kind of reaching. Yeah, yeah, um, that's
0: all right. I mean, that's why he said it. He said it. That's what's so interesting about it. So,
1: so that was those are the only things that I was able to find. Can you think of any other themes or or, or stuff that popped out at you? Because I was really reaching. Like I get. Mm, because there's the part where Greg is teaching her to shoot, and it's pretty much a red herring. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, yeah, she's, like, because that's an element of, you know, safety. And, yeah. like, uh, like the brave one, Jodie Foster, she, she suffers uh, mugging and, and sexual assault, and she finds her agency again in a gun. Yeah. And in this one, that's where it kind of seems like it's going. I think that it does go there. I mean, there's that scene at the beach where, you know,
0: she shoots the thing. And, and it and stops it. It, it pays it. off. Like, if oh, my God, for she can a shoot second. it. And she gets it in the head, and, like, that didn't matter. So, okay, a gun isn't the answer here. Mm -hmm. Um, This is not something we can fight. And I thought that was another great piece of looking at this as an STD. This isn't going to go away. This isn't going to go away. Okay, well then... We have to do something else. Maybe I can just outrun it forever. Yeah, which also we're we gonna find out doesn't work.
1: And it's it's awesome that every single solution or proposed solution to the monster is uh, is a metaphor. Yeah, is is a metaphor running from something, trying to fight something, um, and even some of the like uh, uh, quotes in the movie refer to. I love that. Maybe you know there's a there's probably a term for it in in writing where. Um, a character, it, it, like say for instance that they're in class and the right. focus is on the student, but the background, like diegetic noise, is the teacher talking about something right. that uh, pertains like to the the overarching themes. Is there a word for that?
0: I don't. but There's such a, a lantern to hang on that. I'm not. That's not it. But uh, there's something there. You've
1: nailed something. Yeah, we need a like term hide? there. We need a term there. Right, hiding that exposition. Um, cuz it'll Man. usually be like a montage of the student like maybe slipping through grades or something and yeah in the background yeah, just right. talking so the one i'm referring to in this is when um uh, I, uh what is her name i wrote it down here the 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 one who's always reading yara played by mm-hmm. olivia lucardi uh is reading the idiot by dostoevsky <laughs> sorry <Right>. my my <laughs> podcast kitty uh, <laughs> Is that okay? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, next. Um, uh, yeah, she's reading uh, Dostoevsky's The Idiot, and uh, there's a quote from him about uh, waiting and uh, come what may, like yes. sitting down and waiting. And then there's the other line at the end of uh, being being human and knowing that that will at some point truly end and how that's the real horror. Right. It's not dying. It's, it's, knowing, it's knowing I will die. Right. No yeah. Knowing
0: that I, I will no longer be.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. that's it. And yeah. yet there's some kind of freedom to that, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Yeah, so uh, a couple of other things. The time frame of this movie is fascinating. It's intentionally kept ambiguous through, and I totally didn't notice it my first viewing. Mm -hmm. Um, I only noticed it through like doing my notes. Is that the the first woman at the beginning, Annie, has a cell phone Mm -hmm. and a modern car, but the oh man, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, her friend Yara has the uh, like clamshell e-reader thing, which looks futuristic. But there are also like old cars throughout the movie. It's right. really bizarre. What do you take from that? I, I didn't. I, th- I thought this was a, sort of an attempt to be timeless. Is that it? Um, I didn't
0: know how else to interpret that, and I thought it worked great. I honestly. think so too. I, it, I never, it never bumped for me. It never bothered me. So I was totally in the moment, and I, I don't need to know when we are. We're in an age that has cell phones. I'm good. That could be 20 years. I'm I'm good. That's all I need.
1: That's the thing, is if they don't introduce anything too, like, uh, different for my mind to take over, because then it would be a Black Mirror thing. Like, the clamshell e-reader only makes sense to me because e-readers exist. I've never seen a clamshell one, but... I haven't either, and it struck me the second time I watched it. I was like, well, is this... Is that an older
0: device? Is that like a Palm Pilot? Or is that something we haven't invented yet? And I, think, I don't know.
1: I think like you say, it's a time—it's a thing to make it timeless. That yeah. it's bridging e-readers with clamshells. Right. Like to make it like this, this unknowable time. But more than that, the temperature. You have no idea like what the weather is like. It's yeah. supposed to be in Detroit, but there are... Uh, they they wear coats and jackets and t-shirts and swimsuits during the day yeah. and barely anything at all at night and they they don't seem to be at all uncomfortable. So and again, I think that's just just a play to the
0: genre, just a play to horror. Like, all right, well, we're gonna wear anything because in horror movies you can do that. It's it's we're gonna
1: need to be scantily clad at some point. Because it's horror and it's about sex. I like that interpretation. I interpret it as uh, it's supposed to be, like, the whole movie is supposed to be like a nightmare. And in that sense, when you try to make sense of nightmare things, like, what time is it? What day is it? Where is this taking place? Am I hot or cold? Like, those things aren't as concerning as your teeth falling out or whatever. Right, (laughs) right, right. Is is that the (laughs) other one? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um. Uh, so uh, I think that was the last thing that I had here. Uh, mm-hmm. Last was just, yeah, that idea that um this woman, while in most horror movies, when they dare to have sex for pleasure, are punished. She is punished, but spends the rest of her movie reclaiming her agency in a new, scarier world by finding someone who's willing to share it with her through Paul. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that, that ending is the moment for me. And I actually
0: had to look this up after I watched it again because other people interpret that ambiguously and i thought there was yeah. no room
1: for there's youtube videos that. where it's like oh what really happened right. at
0: and I, to me it's like well how do you learn to live with an std and the answer and just in those last couple of shots is you get on with your life and you have to like all right well it's going to follow us but we're still together we're still going to live the best life we can and that's not going to ruin us we're yeah. going to continue to be normal people
1: but nothing will change that it follows yes it will yeah and and i thought that was the best part of the whole movie yeah it's great uh, yeah, no, I like it because at the end of the day, this story isn't about a woman having sex and then being uh, punished for it for two hours. It's about her uh, clawing her way back to some semblance of safety again. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I like that it it takes another person who probably doesn't understand it yet. I I At the end of the movie, I like to think that Paul still hasn't seen it, but mm-hmm. he went out to those prostitutes. And I like that it's left open-ended whether or not he passed it on to those prostitutes because right. um, that seems like a pretty safe way to get rid of it. Yeah, I like guess it would, gonna... because there
0: would really, there would be a lot of stuff going on there. There'd be a yeah. lot of, yeah, a lot of pieces there.
1: Yeah. So the one thing that I like to do uh, is ask, what happens after the end of the movie? Yeah. Like, like what what happens? Do Do Jay and Paul live and just happily ever after? Does it ever get them? Does right. it matter? I think it never does. Yeah. I think that's how I'm gonna interpret it. I don't know if that means they die of cancer at seventy
0: five or they, you know, whatever. But I think they've learned to live with it. And I think that's the real mission there.
1: Is this the only it? I don't think like, like STDs. Yeah. Are there multiple strains and versions? Right,
0: right. And I think that would that we'll find all that in the
1: sequel. I guess so. Yeah. Um, I, I, for
0: me, yeah, one works fine. That's yeah. all I need for this movie to work. One works fine. If there were
1: hundreds of others across the world, sure, I guess. Somebody's going to get two of them at the same time. That's got to happen, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. For such an uh, an amazing horror film, there are only two deaths. And one of them is... Well, I guess they're both on screen, but you never really see like the blows being done to them. There's no gore, there's no blood, and yet it's still effective. So this last segment, we like to rate our movies on a scale of one to five thumbs, one being the best, and five one being the worst and five being the best on any criteria under the sun that you want pete what do you think of it follows man i gotta go
0: at least four i'm, I'm leaning okay. towards five, but i gotta go at least four i think and, this is a fantastic movie it's entertaining the whole time for me there are slow parts where there needs to be uh for me and, and the rest of it just just feels great what do you mean where it needs to be i think there's a, a point in act two and i wrote this down as act two kind of starts we're like well she's had this horrible experience and you know nobody quite believes her and she doesn't know what to do and she's not sure if she really believes this thing's really following her and well, i don't know let's try to live our lives for a few minutes and we we see a few minutes of that at the beginning act two where she's trying to go on in a normal life but this is not normal life anymore
1: no it's not sustainable yeah yeah think that was the that was the slow part that needed to be slow I like that interpretation. So traditionally, we will award our thumbs to characters in the movie. You can Mm. give one character one thumb, or you can spread them out, or you can give one thumb to or four thumbs to one person. Who are you giving your thumbs to? Um, man, I'm gonna spread them around. Uh, Jay at least has to get two. I think there's
0: so much she's gonna need them. (laughs) Yeah, uh, she goes through so much, and there's so many pieces that she does. I love the fact like she goes and finds those guys on the speedboat, and you're like. Oh man, she had to, I don't, I, it's not that I don't relate. Uh, it's a hard thing to do and she does something pretty awful. But you know what? Like she's pushed to that point the, at that point in the movie. So I'm going two for her. Um, I got to go one for old friend's own Paul. Mm-hmm. I thought he was a great <laughs> character. Uh, it wasn't cliche. It wasn't over the top. Yeah, uh, that actor does a great job. Shout great out to job.
1: Keir Gilchrist.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yara I thought was a lot of fun. Um, just totally different character. And I have one more thumb. I think so. I'm um, going for Jeff okay it there you go so realistic and he's, he's he's a shit bag and when you meet him when you meet the real jeff you're like i, I get it like he had no choice because you meet his mom You meet his mom and, they and like, you know like he had no like what was he gonna do
1: never live a normal life ever again and um, they sit outside in the grass it's like a support group it's really intimate and you're like right. yeah i feel for him and he's still scared uh-huh he's still like can you guys see that little girl walking
0: towards us and you don't
1: wow. blame him at that I, point I, like, anymore. He
0: knows that, that that's still a realistic fear for him.
1: In fact, he's the only one that can empathize with yes. Jay because because maybe, like in real life, only people who experience sexual assault can truly understand what yeah. what other people have gone through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what it's like to live with something that is incurable. Well, that's fantastic. Those are some great awards. I love this movie I'm so glad that you brought it here and it is not a perfect horror film but what is uh, Silence of the Lambs someone brought that <laughs> into me that's a perfect horror yes. film um, but uh, besides that uh, yeah it's got some slow parts um, and it's got some uh, performances Greg doesn't uh, really do much yeah. uh, for me but uh, what are you going to do it's still an incredible movie with some amazing 360 choreographed yeah. shots that I, I don't know how they did that it must have taken them a few tries but the music in it mm. is this eerily synthy chip tooney suspense that's so good and makes me think of john carpenter's best uh yeah i'm definitely going to give this movie four thumbs as well and i'm going to award my thumbs to uh mr and mrs height the parents who are basically non-existent in this movie yes they are there but they are intentionally written away they are either obscured or out of focus or just out of shot um, because this isn't their story; it's the story of their kids. Who literally, they could not understand what they're going through. You know, it's a great point because the dad does come in one major
0: scene, and that's the end, mm-hmm. where her dad is trying to kill her for all what she's gone through.
1: Which is nuts because I don't I'm think we've either. actually ever seen. I don't think him. we ever see him. We yeah. see him in
0: pictures. That's the only way we know it's him.
1: Um, yeah, good catch. Actually, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, so I'm going to give uh, one to Mrs. Height, one to Mr. Height, mm. uh, Jay's parents. I'm going to give one to Jay for sure because she carries this whole movie and she does a great job. Uh, she she does such a good job of showing off of, of portraying that terrified innocence of, of having no idea of conceiving of what you are especially in that hallway the classroom when she's at school and the old lady goes between those two other girls so good mm-hmm. Um, And then finally, I'm going to get the last one to uh, Yara. I thought Yara was great, and she gets a blood squib in her neck that she had to uh, affect, (laughs) so she did a great job. Yeah. And that is It Follows. Uh, Pete, is there anywhere that people can find you online if they want to keep up with you? Yeah, a couple places. I'm I'm on Twitter somewhat frequently, at Pete of All
0: Trades, and then you can find my website, uh, uh, com. I don't know how to how you would spell that other than... We'll put it in the description. You know, That'll be good. <laughs> um, and then, um, yeah, you can find my book, The Un-American Undiet. I'll probably search for that or just look at PeteDalessandro.com. And the podcast? On uh, The podcast. Um, you can also find on the website, PeteDalessandro.com. Okay, okay fantastic.
1: All right. Well, thanks for coming to the show. Uh, next time on The Gory Days, I think if you're following my schedule, we will be talking about... I don't have my schedule in front of me. I don't want to spoil it for you all. Stay scary the out there. Days. The Gory Days.